Okay, welcome back, Rogue Table Talks, episode nine. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Myers, and I am here with my other host, Mike Sherman. All right, all right, and we are excited to jump in today. Uh, first things first, though, we have some prolegomena, uh, first words. Dang. I know, I learned that in school and never let it go. <laughs> um, but I, I listened to Mike's uh, solo cast last week, and mm. he gave a shout out to Jacob. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do want to echo that shout out with without Jacob, none of this is possible. Mm. Me and Mike are not the Mike Tech No, uh, not experts. the legends that we are. That's right. We just talk and he makes right. it real for you. But I do want to ask a question because you said, does Jacob really exist? Mm-hmm. So ontologically, how can we know? <laughs> how can we know that question. Jacob exists? All we have is our sense experience. <laughs> oh, right? Right? we are in some waters right? here. Yeah. This is a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> so episode nine, we are in Judges, uh, looking at Judges 4. Last week was Mike talked about Judges 3 with E. Hood. And um, we're going to give some overview, jump off the sermon, Deborah, Barack, JL, Sisera. Uh, Mike, set it up for us. Well, uh, we are, again, uh, have visiting the cycle that we have visited. Um, people are in the promised land, but it's not good. Um, it's not as it should be. The cycle uh, that we have seen is uh, the people are uh, have peace and they drift away from God. They they disobey. Then there's some sort of consequence, bondage, judgment. They cry out. God brings a judge along to deliver them. Uh, peace is restored, and then they drift and they repeat. And so we, we we're going to see the same cycle again uh, here in, in Judges four. Uh, and in fact, why don't I just read the first uh, first four verses, maybe, of, of Judges 4. And the people of Israel, again, did, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that repeated phrase, after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagayim. Then, is that right, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people cruelly of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Uh, verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Uh, and so that's the, the setup. Um, Deborah calls on a, a guy by the name of Barak, uh, to go and fight. Uh, Barak sort of hesitates and says he doesn't want to go uh, unless Deborah goes with. Um, and she says, because of that, you know, the course you're taking and the honor is going to go to somebody else. In fact, it's going to go to a woman. And when we read that, we assume that honor is going to go to, uh, to Deborah. Um, and so there's a battle and uh, we can get more into that later, but uh, the, the Jabin's defeated uh, Sisera is defeated, um, his army is defeated, and the, the peace is restored again. So um, just as we kind of pause there uh, in our description of the, of the, uh, the cycle, so what do you, it's, what do you, what's the same and what's different about this cycle uh, that we see? What are some things that maybe stand out? You know, we've, we've maybe outlined some of the things that are the same. What's the same and what's different about this cycle? Yeah, um... When I look at this, uh, I, I think what's similar is the, the peace, the comfort, mm-hmm. it's going well, um, and then the drift, the yeah. spiritual decline. 
uh, it's similar. And again, they do well, this phrase again, they do evil. Right. And sometimes they, it, the author of judges tells you explicitly, this is the evil they're doing. Sometimes he doesn't. Um, and I think it's left a little bit for inference. Uh, they're worshiping idols. They are assimilating into the culture. Mm-hmm. They're looking like the culture around right. them. And this isn't just, oh, they're listening to you know pop music mm-hmm. or they're right. going to a movie, watching R-rated watching movies. R-rated movies. Right. This is um, assimilation into a culture where child sacrifice was held high, uh, a lot of pagan rituals uh, that it would involve um, sexual and temple prostitution. So God didn't want his people to forfeit the right to be the good news, be new humanity by um, losing their distinctive purity uh, as his people. Because, you know, he, he, he didn't, he prohibited all of that mm-hmm. um, because God values life and right. values purity. Um, so you're left a little bit for inference. And so the, there's this similarity. Um, they're oppressed, yeah. you know, and you see, you see God's divine justice and judgment all through the book of Judges, it, but it's up with his people too. Right. It says he sold them. Right. Right. He, 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 right. he raised up the Canaanites. And actually, when you read the prophets, um, it's God raising up Assyria. Sure. It's God raising up Babylon. Yeah. But then he holds Assyria and Babylon both accountable for what they right. do. So he's not puppet mastering them, mm-hmm. um, but he is bringing his judgment. Um, and then he's also, this is, and this is the mystery of God's sovereignty. This is one of the mysteries of God's sovereignty, um, that, that he judges his people. And then for mm-hmm. those who act wickedly against his people, he also holds them accountable mm-hmm. for right. those actions. Yeah. I do think there's a sense when that, you know, kind of to underscore that one of the things that is, that we see in the story and that we see through the book and that is actually intensified as the book goes on is this things are not the way they're supposed to be. Yeah. And these are um, extraordinary actions or violent actions, or they seem extreme actions. Um, but that's because the people have, have in a sense merited this sort of correction that mm-hmm. they've gotten not a little bit off the rails. It's not like they've, you know, they've not said their prayers every night and they, you know, whatever, read Harry Potter or seen our, I mean, it's, it's, um, I love Harry Potter. Just, just to be clear. Um, some people don't, that's why he was throwing it out there. That's a joke. Um, it, it's that, you know, like you said, they've, they've, they've fallen to some level of wickedness that's similar to the neighbors around them. And, and if God's promise and plan was going to survive at all, he had to intervene drastically. Uh, and so that's, you know, things happen in the book of Judges and, and, and throughout the Bible to some degree, and certainly in the Old Testament, that seem extreme. Um, but in a sense, they have to happen for God to preserve his plan. They, they have to happen for God's gracious plan to go forward. Yeah, I, I, and I don't want to insert a, an important point here, I think, because uh, N.T. Wright says this often, we are 20th, 21st century people mm-hmm. trying to read an ancient book mm-hmm. with our lens. Yeah. That doesn't mean it doesn't have anything to say to us, but it may feel drastic to us. But if you read the backdrops of the ancient religions of the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Amorites, um, if you read histories of Babylon, mm-hmm. all these other things... Uh, this is a tribal warfare society. It's not just Israel in the mix. And so actually you see Israel and Yahweh, this king over this tribe, Mm -hmm. you see them doing 
very new, very countercultural moves. They value humanity. Um, and, and set against the backdrop of the Canaanite gods, Israel is, in fact, probably the least, right. the least yeah. of the right. violent right. nations around yes. them. So yes. it's, it, we're, we're right. like, oh, we're, we live in this kind of sanitized, yes. you know, protected Western American mindset. But that they would have saw this mm-hmm. as, oh, my goodness, this is kind of a radical new way to deal with people. Right. Yeah, I think maybe we feel like the more enlightened we are, the more we move past um, certain ideas and we look back on a more violent time and think, well, I'm glad we're beyond that now, right? That we've progressed beyond that. Uh, and I do think one of the, um, I, you know, I think, uh, World War II wasn't that long ago as, as, as these things happen. And certainly in a biblical timeframe, it wasn't that long ago. And obviously extreme violence was necessary to, keep the world free and we almost forget we live in that world and it's not like the world has gotten hugely better since then you know i don't think anybody would even make that argument um and so that sense that things can't get if i want to get truly depressing that things can't get worse where no things can get worse yeah um that and we'll you know it's a point we'll make probably more fully in later podcasts when we talk about gideon and gideon's son that God allows us to make things pretty bad and he doesn't treat us like little kids and pat us on the head and come, you know, he's not a helicopter parent where if we want to make things really bad, we have the ability to do that. Well, and I love that because you talk about, we, we've mentioned the word agency a lot in these talks mm-hmm. and I let you said it earlier, so I'm going to steal it, but credit you. Uh, you said, uh, you know, God takes us seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true, and it's actually very dignifying to humanity. Even if we don't take ourselves seriously. Even if we don't take ourselves seriously. God takes us seriously in the agency that he gives humanity on the earth, Mm -hmm. over the earth, Mm -hmm. to subdue it and have dominion. And and I think... I think you would would say this as well. The counterpoint could be true because he takes us seriously. It it could get better in some degrees. We have have the ability to act and make a difference. And I do think one of our notions... In, you know, 21st century America, that, well, what does it matter? You know, what is it, you know, what am I going to change? I can't change the world. What am I going to do? Yeah, the futility of it all. The futility of everything. And I think God doesn't treat us that way at all. And, you know, he treats us as if our lives really matter and we can have real impact because we can. And I think we shy away from that because that's a sort of a heavy responsibility to live with. And hey, what am I doing with this? How am I stewarding this? If I've got, you know, three talents or four talents or whatever, what am I doing with my talents? Because what I'm doing matters. And um, I do think that's something that we can take from this, that our lives, our lives matter, our actions matter, uh, our responses matter, that, you know, God takes us seriously in our lives are serious business, high stakes, high stakes, high games, high gains. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Deborah. So it's just Come sort on. of thrown out there. So Deborah was judging and she's judging, judging between one town and another. Um, check this out. Her name. Some people, some people think her, her name sounds like the Hebrew, word for word, mm-hmm. which is da word, word. word up. it's the Hebrew word for w- wiki wiki word, <laughs> uh, da bar, uh, D-A-B-A-R is transliteration. 
Um, but I think that's a stretch. That's probably people wanting to see like some type of spiritual, mm-hmm, mystical, you know, she was giving the yeah, word. She's right. the word. Her name means bee. It means like bee, like honeybee. Like queen bee? Yeah, like queen honeybee. Yeah. <laughs> Not queen Beyonce, but queen honeybee. <laughs> Beyonce's in the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so Deborah, the bee, the honeybee, she's a prophetess. Yeah, and she's, it says she's uh, uh, under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of, of Ephraim. So, okay, why is she? I mean, it's not really explained, but it just, it almost begs for explanation. You know, they have, supposedly, they have priests in a, right, in a tabernacle and the whole nine. You like, think? Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, Deborah's out here in some other place. Yeah. judging and that the you know the the word had come to her and she's giving god's word is a spiritual sort of judging right yeah. so what is that does that what is what do we can we infer anything draw anything from that situation yeah when you think about it it's 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 not so far back that the uh, priesthood was instituted mm-hmm. for the purpose of mediating the knowledge of god to the people right mediating right. the people right. to God. The tribe of Levi, the yep. Levites. Right? right, that was the role. Right. They um, are go-betweens. And they're in Bethel at the moment. And here's the thing, they're in Bethel, mm-hmm. and she's not. Mm-hmm. She's in between Rama and Bethel. And so it, the, the implication is here that the priesthood has become ineffective. Because mm-hmm. it um, says the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Yeah, yeah, and which would, it should... As a Hebrew reader, they think, oh, my goodness, yeah. like, why? Why aren't right. you going to the priesthood? Oh, obviously, the, the spiritual decline, it starts with the priesthood, mm-hmm. I would probably argue, mm-hmm. uh, has gotten so bad that they have nothing to say. Yeah, right. So nobody goes there anymore. The people vote with their feet. Can't get any help there. Yeah. Uh, we're going to Deborah. Um, okay, so we probably should since you know since it's rogue table talks let's go rogue and talk about women and leadership in the church what? <laughs> <laughs> because deborah is held up as an example of obviously she's a woman and she's leading spiritually um and so what you know what what is the position obviously it's it's probably pretty common knowledge and Many denominations and most conservative denominations, our denomination, don't ordain women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, famously, women are not priests, and so on. So, um, we let's maybe take a moment and sort of, you know, this is not judges per se, but talk about, uh, you know, the two sort of views on where women are, uh, you know, in the New Testament in our current time. There's yeah. a complementarian view that mm-hmm. some people call, uh, and an egalitarian view. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you want to quickly give a quick little whatever on what those two views are, I'll take, yeah, I'll take some, I'll take some stabs. Correct me where you think I, uh, need some correction. I think too, it's important. I was telling some, this to somebody earlier, and I think it's okay. I think it's a good thing. The cultural situation surrounding the church throughout church history has, um, how to say it, 
prompted certain conversations that mm-hmm. they right. haven't always right. hasn't been in the forefront right. of the conversation right so this is a necessary yeah. conversation it's good to talk about it it's good to talk about yeah. it and um i i think we should have we shouldn't think, be afraid of anything i think you think it's good to talk about most things i, I mean, think if so. there's a question out there let's talk about it yeah um, and we may not settle it once and all and try it finally but nothing it is there. off the rogue table nothing is off the rogue table <laughs> for talking Wait, did we mean nothing? Um, <laughs> so yeah, so complementary and egalitarian, uh, specifically in in marriage, to kind of um, they're both, I would argue, traditionally orthodox Christian yeah, views. Right. So yeah. Bible believing people. Yes, that's important to say that people who believe in the Bible and have sound theology, uh, and that we would agree with on most all the other important doctrinal issues those same groups of people maybe come down on different sides of, of this issue. Yeah. And even just there that not to, you know, tip over everybody's apple car, but not everything in theology is completely cut and dry. Right. That, you know, here's a hand, small handful of things that we're pretty certain about and a bunch of other stuff that we have varying degrees of uncertainty about. And this is one of those things. This is definitely one of those things. Um, although some people don't think it is, and and that's where I'd have to take a small issue with you. I think mm-hmm. it's it's it is one of. Well, let, let me just quote Augustine. Why why not? Mm-hmm. Why not bring Augustine in, mm-hmm. in, in essentials? And you're talking theology and essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty mm-hmm. and all things charity. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to have charity around the conversation, graciousness. Mm-hmm. But I would say this is a non-essential. Right. This is a non-essential. So we can have charity and liberty. Yes. And that's our, the kind of the E-free that we're from, the background that we're from. We specifically say one of our distinguishing, we're not going to divide over these issues of, right. of non-essentials. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about even our staff. And I realize we're taking a minute getting to the point, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have differing views mildly on staff um, sure. when it comes to even in times yep. and things like yep. that. Right. And that's right. good. I there, think that's good. the wrong people and the right people. <laughs> there's people who think right. like me that's and people who don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Notice we haven't invited anyone else to right. the right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, complementarian uh, tends, I'll just say the emphases. How about that? Yeah, sure. Tends to emphasize um, male headship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam was created first and then Eve. And so male headship, there's a emphasis on the hierarchy structure, uh, emphasis on authority. Um it's not, uh, it's been abused, but that doesn't mean that the structure itself is right. bad or wrong. Right. Um, the abuse doesn't preclude proper use of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would emphasize also uh, the submissiveness of the woman right. to the male headship. Right. Um, and if you're complementarian out there, I would just, uh, you know, kudos to you. And I would just encourage you when there's trouble in the home, if you're a complementarian, uh, God starts with you. Mm, right. if the man. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. the if the house right. isn't spiritually healthy, he's mm-hmm. coming your mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. to the man. Right. So, and then Mike jump in. Egalitarian uh, tends to emphasize more uh, equal. Yeah, we're all the same now. Yeah. So you know, the one side, as you said, complementarian. There's the Ephesians five, where the different roles, so the same value. I think both sides would say equally valued, equally mirror God's, God's yes. reflect God's image, uh, but they have different roles. And yes. so, in you know, Ephesians five. You know, the husband this, the wife this. Um, you know, the descriptions of the elders uh, in the New Testament, Titus and First Timothy, um, you know, that they're men and so on. And so some people, in deference to that, they think um, 
even in the New Testament, that we have different roles. And then the other side, the egalitarian side, is more the Galatians 3. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, the slave nor free. We're all the same. Right. Uh, and so, of course, the complementarian believes in that Galatians 3 is true, and an egalitarian believes that Ephesians 5 is true. They're just sort right. of drawing different, different conclusions uh, from those things. And I think most of evangelical churches have... Um, on the sort of complementarian Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy, you know, 3, Titus, sort of, in a sense, if they're going to land or err, they're going to err on that side. Yeah. And so that's why most, you know, evangelical uh, congregations don't ordain women because, again, spiritual authority, spiritual headship. Mm-hmm. Um, Going and think, back, and it's all rooted in creation. It's that's all rooted that's in creation. the conversation. That's right. it's, so it's, even in 1 Timothy 2, when Paul talks about women in the church, it roots, he roots it in creation. And that's why people on the complementarian side say it can't, it's not just culturally conditioned, it's rooted in creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the egalitarian side would say that, well, there's reasons why they don't apply that way now. Mm-hmm. And it's not 5,000% clear. And so you are sort of left to come to the, you know, your best, best conclusion. Yeah. So um, good summary, would you say, is complementarian is... Um, equal value, differing roles, mm-hmm. and then egalitarian is equal value, therefore permitted to equal roles. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a yeah, it's a good summary view. And again, both sides could claim a biblical warranted warrant. Um, you know, and so for us, you know, we had Calvary. We have women serving in ministry. We have women on staff. We have women on a leadership team. Yeah. We don't have women on the elder board because of the it lands a little bit more on the complementarian view. Um, and particularly the qualifications for the elder passages. And so um, I tend to, I guess, are we going to stay our own, are we going to state our own sure. preferences? Yeah. So I tend to be complementarian, but it's kind of 5149, because I'm not certain enough to insist on it or land. I'm like, I, you know, if, it, if Calvary decided to, uh, you know, ordain uh, women or to ha- have, uh, uh, you know, women elders or what I, I wouldn't be something I would leave over. I think it was wrong yeah. because I'm not positive, honestly, one way or the other. And I, so that's not, it, it might feel like a cop out to some, but I feel like it's more of a, I think a balanced position. You have to be humble. You have to, you know, you have to seek for unity. You have to be curious. You have to question yourself and realize it's not super cut. Not everything's the same. Level of I feel like it's just to, I know you're not asking for this. I feel like it's way less of a cop out and more of a, um, an expansion of, okay, well, there's a reason that people have had really good debates, conversations, right. different denominations around these things, right. because it's not cut and dry. Right. It's not that clear. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's helpful to say, you're going to have to decide which hill do you want to die on? That's right. And is, is this something, if you're going to put it in the liberty, you know, non-essential category, then, okay, well, mm-hmm. can I be worship freely, um, yeah, right. you know, good conscience at a place where it's not clear. I probably lean this way, but it's not clear. Right. And so, yeah, so me and Mike differ a little bit. I would probably say I'm, you know, uh, 51, 49 on the other side. <gasps> Please send all hate mail to Jacob. <laughs> but also, if you think he exists, tell us why you think he yes. exists. <laughs> Does Jacob really exists, and why don't do you say hate you him so heard much? a voice? Right. <laughs> so, but but I would say this: um, me and Mike are good friends. We also probably have some other conversations around baptism, end times. 
but we can work it out because these are non-essentials. Um, and I can be at a place right now mm-hmm. where we don't have women elders. I've also mm-hmm. worked at a place that did have women elders. Mm-hmm. I find richness in both places. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a body of wisdom in both mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so these are places where I can worship with good conscience yeah. and be with good conscience. And I think, you know, I think for for me, it's not like I don't have the urge to change your mind. Yeah. It's not like we talk about these things right. unless they come up for this this sort of reason because... You know, I don't, I could, I've probably known you a long time before I even knew what you thought about this because yeah. that's just not that important. And I do think in our age, we tend to divide up over identity markers. And for some, this is an identity marker. And if you have one view, you don't take, you know, you don't take scripture seriously if you have the other view and, you know, you're deficient or you're not understanding the Bible correctly or you're soft on this or whatever. Right. And I think, I don't think that's necessarily true at all. I think it's, it's not a completely clear issue. And people I really admire theologically are on different sides. And that's happens more often than you think. Right? <laughs> I think, right. You, I think people that does. we often quote as Christians yes. and we find out, oh, they think that about that. You tend to right. think everyone thinks like you. Right. Not so true. when you're reading your favorite author and you right. think that all their theology and your theology match yeah. up. He's so brilliant. And then yeah. he says something like, oh. <laughs> Right. right. Um, I will say this, too. We've been talking from a you know theological point of view, somewhat personal, but impersonal out there. I think some people think the complementarian view isn't uh, dignifying to women. Right. I, I think there can be abuses under that view. There can be the other side, too, under the egalitarian view. I get there's. Yeah, there's conversations that yeah. are to me unhelpful. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's that's where, you know, wives submit to your husbands. That's a verse in the Bible. It means something. Right. And so the two opposite errors are, on the one hand, you know, the husband gets to say whatever he wants and the wife has to do whatever he says, and it's sort of like a king subject thing, which is obviously wrong. Right. And the other side is, it doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, right. and we just ignore it. Right. Well, it's, and so that's part of this, you know, the, the issues around the passage that we've mentioned, they're in there, they mean something. We're not completely sure what they mean, hundred percent of the time. And yeah. we just have to live in that world of uncertainty a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's healthy to, to, to name your uncertainty and say, yeah, I'm just not sure about that. Embrace the tension. Yeah. Embrace the tension. Yeah. You fall right. off one side or the other. Yeah. And, but I do think this, we, I believe this and I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to read those passages. So I have to say that I'm mm-hmm. not sure what that feels like. I do know from studying those passages that the sting of those commands would have fell upon the man because he was the first mention of those. And culturally the weight of that loving your wife, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you love your own Mm -hmm. flesh, that would have hit him harder. Yeah. The, the, with the Greco Roman backdrop, those passages would have dignified the women and the children because they wouldn't have even been mentioned in other sacred writings. Yeah. And I do think that it's, you know, it's difficult for us not to see every passage through our, the lens that we have right now, as you said before, and talking about the old Testament, it's no, it's no different here. Um, I would, I would always, uh, it's my, you, I mean, I probably said this to you before that, you know, leadership and therefore authority in the church is not something I particularly relish and never sought. Yeah. It sort of found me. Uh, and, you know, if I could give it to some capable woman and walk away, I, you know, I probably would and not violate God's call in my life. So 
it's not if if you seek authority there's something wrong there you're you're not yeah. understanding what comes with the responsibility that comes with it yeah at some point i was having this conversation i can't remember with who at some point it's not a matter of gender it's a, a, on some level mm-hmm. for the egalitarian it's a matter of can you hold the weight of the authority? Yes. I don't care if you're man or woman. That's if right. you are after power for control, mm-hmm. there's a problem. That's right. That and right. that's probably all of us to some degree. So that's we right. have to have that right. kind of right. painfully yes. rot out yeah. of us. Yes. Um, but to me, that's that's the idea um, with that. So, okay, we've solved that problem. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. I think everyone, yeah. don't you feel that way? I do. They, yeah, they probably all yes. feel that way. Um, There's an exhale. I just heard it. Ah, oh, <laughs> thank you guys. It'll never, so never brilliant. be a problem again. Or we wound someone up. Yes. <laughs> okay, so back to our story. Um, the rest of the story is Sisera, the, the, the bad guy general, uh, is defeated and he flees. Uh, and he flees to, um, he's fleeing away and he comes to this woman, JL. Who he thinks is an ally. Who he thinks he's an ally and yep. says, hey, hide me. Can I hide in your tent? Yeah. Then what happens, Chad? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I love how when you get to kick it over one person, they have to try and answer yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So he flees to her because the battle goes south. They get defeated. He's running for his life. Um, earlier in the story, we learned that she is, uh, in a tribe that is an ally Mm -hmm. to, to the Canaanites. So he feels like he's, he's made it. He's safe. And you see this in like what, three, four or five verses. She takes all the initiative. She runs out of the tent. She greets him, you know, come inside, come inside. Mm -hmm. Um, he asks for water. She gives him milk, which some of the commentaries I was reading, it would have been something to induce a state of drowsiness. Mm -hmm. So there's an intentionality Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, she covers him up. He says, you know, if anybody asks if I'm here, tell him, no, I'm not hiding here. Um, in some senses it's very detailed, but in some senses it's also very simplistic. Mm -hmm. Like tell, tell him no. Um, and then he's weary, he's exhausted, he's drowsy. And then the text just says really clearly, um, she comes to him with a hammer and a tent peg and she drove the peg into his temple. Um, could be temple. Some of the, some of the commentaries say, you know, soft part of the jaw somewhere in the head. I hope it was temple. I mean, somewhere. Yeah, yeah this is drives yeah. this tent peg Good. through his temple until it goes down to the ground. And then he died. So all the way through his head. All the way through. Yeah. One side out and the other. And then the right. side out the other. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, uh, so that's Sisera. Sisera's dead. Mm-hmm. And Barak, who was the military right. leader right. The good, for the Israel. Good general, right. right. The good general. He's chasing him. Yeah. Right. He's coming after him. Right. So again, JL comes out of the tent. Mm-hmm. Hey, come, I'll show you the guy right. that you're looking for. And, right. and that kind of concludes the, the story. Right. right. <laughs> the, right. The, the story know. concludes with her opening her tent and there's the guy with his head pegged into the yeah. ground. Right. Yeah. Welcome is to that Judges. Is the guy you're looking for? Welcome to Judges. Is that him? <laughs> I don't know. I can't make out his face. <laughs> Thanks for making a mess. Yeah. And so that's like, huh, that's, a, that's an interesting passage to be so delineated. It's not like... Sisera fled and JL, you know, lured him into her tent and killed him. Right. No, it's more than that. It's the milk, it's the curds, it's the blanket, it's the spike, and it's the thing. And so, I don't know. I don't know. Why do you think that is all in there? 
Like what, what is that in there for? Do you have any idea? That's a, I, you know, that's a good question. It's similar to the Ehud and the, and the dagger and it goes in all the way past the hilt. And yeah. obviously it's a lot of first person detail. She's the only source of this information, just like Ehud was only the only source of that. So it's like, it just seemed almost gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and I think people disagree on this and that's fine. Um, it's similar to the Ehud passage. Uh, you see, you you don't necessarily see an explicit divine sanction. Like, right. this is what right. you're supposed right. to do, says the word point. of the Lord. Yeah, it's not like the Lord came to her no. audibly and said, drive this you no. know, peg through his head. So No, right. And so I, I think we have to be really clear about that. And so at the end of the Ehud story and at the end of the Deborah and Barak story with Jael here, you find people acting. They're acting on, on seemingly their own accord. Mm-hmm. They're making choices. And it's very violent. Yeah. It's very treacherous. Um, and I, I wonder if partly it's showing um, the spiral of the times. This is how bad things have gotten. Mm-hmm. It's, it's come to this. Like here's the solution yeah. for the problem. Yeah, this is how bad it is. Right. Um, and even though we'll see it's not a long-term solution, mm-hmm. it is this short-term solution. Um, but I also think the narrator is getting you to think about um, what, what should we think about these characters? In yeah, these it's places. inviting some sort of response. Mm-hmm. You get an emotional response. You picture it. Yeah. You picture the dagger going all the way into the guy's gut. Right. You picture the peg going all the way through the kid. You know, what's, huh, what do I do with that? Is almost what the text is asking me to, like, what do I think of it? What do I make of this? I think so. And, it, and if you let it impact you, it's supposed to feel, um, it's supposed to help impact in such a way like, this isn't good. Whatever this right. is. We've, that we shouldn't be here. Yeah, this right. isn't good. It's very violent. Yeah. It's very disturbing. We shouldn't be here. Um, you know, and I, I, I might reference this in the, the sermon, but uh, the, you, there's, a, there's a point to reading tragedies. Mm-hmm. You know, Greek tragedies, right. Shakespeare tragedies. Right. There's a point like you see TV shows and there's no redemption in them or there's a mild thread of redemption mm-hmm. that you didn't see. But on the whole, it's a tragedy. And one of the points is for you to see yourself or see parts of you in the tragedy that maybe you can catch yourself right. and identify right. and then expunge right. from your life right. and say, Oh, that's one of the themes of Shakespearean tragedy is these characters do things. And then huge, it's not random. It's not bad things randomly fall from the sky. It all kind of stems from choices that they make and actions that they take and tragedy comes. And this is sort of, that again writ large is all of this is because the people didn't do what god said at first they didn't take the possession of the whole land they sinned and became all of this is a is an outgrowth of of that things get really messy when we get off plan yeah uh, and i do think there's this that's why it's so dark but also sort of i mean as we look around at our own world sort of resonant with our own world right yeah and we may think well i'm not I'm not driving 10 pegs in people's heads and, uh, but I, you know, one of, yeah. I'm doing the equivalent on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. <laughs> Violence comes in all shapes and sizes, all shapes and sizes. Um, but I do think, you know, reminding us of the theme of judges towards the end, each of these episodes almost displays what the end of judges says explicitly, 
which is, and people were doing what's right in their right. own eyes. Right. Like she's definitely just, right. this is what I'm going to do. They're all freelancing. Nobody's stopping me here. Right. I'm going for right. it. Now she gets praised in the song mm-hmm. afterwards by mm-hmm. Deborah and Barack. Now I understand that because in a sense she killed she the general. The enemy she defeats right. the general. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet there's also this uneasy feeling of, Maybe she's not wholly good. Yeah. Not wholly right. bad, right. but not wholly good. Maybe she shouldn't have taken it into her own hands. Maybe yeah. She, maybe she just have hit him, let Brock come and say, Yeah, let Brock there. come, he's take him there. captive, right. something. Yeah. Um, earlier you said something which I thought was interesting. Um, as we were talking about this passage, you said there's, uh, there's Exodus echoes. Yeah. So what is that about? Yeah. Um, I think if you if you just kind of read the story, you find very clear echoes from the Exodus, um, as you just said, so I don't know why I, re- I repeated you on there. So <laughs> Mike said it, then I said it. That's so double time. <laughs> the echoes are this. How about that? Yes. How about that? What are the echoes? <laughs> the echoes are this. Um, they're in captivity. Um, they cry out for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the army is, is uh, militarily they have a technology that is superior. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like the Egyptians. Just like no the Egyptians. Of just, 900 right. chariots, you're not getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the then when it's, it specifically says it's the Lord that gave them into right. the hands, it's the Lord routed or rooted. Another translation says confused, mm-hmm. similar right. to right. the Exodus. And then it says that therefore the Israelite army overtook them and not a person, not a person in the army. Uh, to be clear, was left. And that is a explicit exit, uh, echo from Exodus 14, where all of the Egyptians who pursue um, Israel after they permit them to leave, they're drowned in the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Not one was left. Mm-hmm. So there's this echo that a, an ancient Israelite would have heard that would have dawned on them, oh, wait, we've our, this God Yahweh, and this is that's the... That's the word, the name used in this passage is capital L O, mm-hmm. capital O, capital R, capital mm-hmm. D. That's how he would have introduced himself at the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And this is a God who brings freedom. Mm-hmm. This is a God who brings liberation to captives. Mm-hmm. That's what this God is about. Mm-hmm. That's how he first revealed himself. I want to set people. Mm-hmm. The Exodus is a, a watermark for all of salvation. Right. Right. And so, so Canaanites and Egyptians included, God wants to set people free. Right. He wants to liberate them from the ultimate captor, right. which is sin. Right. And I think there's a bit of irony here mm-hmm. of, hey, guys, you know this place. Yeah. Remember this? You know this right. God. You know his purposes. Mm-hmm. Why are we here? Mm. We've been capital, you know, set free, but now we're getting back into bondage again. And I don't know about you, but the book of Judges is disturbing because, oh, it feels like humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like me, my spiritual right. growth cycles of, I've been set free. So why am I acting like this? Why do right. I keep falling into yeah. bondage? Yeah, and I do think that's the one of the tragedies of Judges is their sin and separation from God does not cause them to cry out. It's, the, it's when God reacts against that and brings them, that's when they cry out, when they go into bondage. Like they're... Drifting away from God is easy. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that's where spiritual habits and rhythms, confessing our sin, you know, praying daily, being with God's people, ought to um, have us be open to our own sinfulness so that we can cry out before God brings in, you know, 
the Canaanites or the Moabites or the, right. you know, Philistines or, or whatever. Um, and I do think that we do kind of need to, in a sense, preach the gospel to ourselves every day, not be saved every day, but to sort of be reminded that we are saved people yeah. and what all that means to us and that we should live in, in some way that corresponds with, am I living out that reality? And obviously God's people with God's law and God's promised land, we're not living out the, the, the reality in the story is not living out. And so God, and it seems sort of arbitrary because the, you know, the, the Israelites in Egypt were not any great, you know, awesome people. They didn't, they didn't have the law yet. They weren't doing well, they're, anything. They're polytheists yeah, at I the mean, time, considering right. there's nothing about them that causes God to say, Hey, those are the people I want to save. It's really all about, he's being true to himself. He's mm -hmm. being true to his promise. Which, in a sense, and this is maybe something I, we, you know, we can kind of, as we're winding this down, but in a sense, the good news of, of that is God's not waiting for me to be better uh, to move graciously mm. to me. Mm. Like he, even in spite of, just like That's here, good. in spite of, in spite of what they're doing, yeah. he moves graciously to restore them. And, and that's kind of consistent, like all through the Bible, that's the case where at best people are clueless and normally people are worse than clueless and God moves to save them because he's promised because he holds out salvation and grace to people who will respond to him. And it's really about his character, his love, his grace that's available. And if, if I step toward it, it's not, he's not waiting for me. It's not because I'm clever. It's not because I figured it out or I did good things or whatever. I just, in a sense, cried out for his grace. And that's the good news, if you will, of judges. I, th I think that's a really great point. And uh, I think that is the point of judges is to contrast the incredible long-suffering mm -hmm. of a God of grace mm -hmm. set against the human propensity to violence, mm -hmm. to wickedness, uh, to evil, of mm -hmm. which I'm a part, right, of, which, of we which we're a part. Exemplify. Right. And when you think about the end of the Deborah episode, you're not really thinking about any one person. All the characters kind of fade. Yeah. Deborah had faded earlier. Right. Barack kind of fades. Right. Um, JL fades. Right. And it's really you're left thinking about what a what a gracious God, mm -hmm. what a patient God. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's it's God's holiness and purity and long suffering yeah. set over against because it can wickedness. be sort of almost fatiguing to read this cycle over and over again in Judges. Well, God's living through it over centuries, yeah. right? Over decades and centuries where how patient is he is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and he certainly has patience for me. And he certainly demonstrated that. Uh, and yet uh, I'm called to sort of, in a sense, cry out every day and stay in tune and touch every day. And if not, my choices are real choices and they really matter. I love that. And, I, and this is my kind of closing thought too, is, is this is what I think grace is. It is um, God seducing us into new ways of living. It's a, it's a simple invitation. It's not a coercion. Mm -hmm. He doesn't force us. He will not make you get off the cycle, right? but he will allure you mm -hmm. and he right. will be patient with you. And right. it's actually, this is what Paul says. It's his kindness that mm -hmm. leads us to repentance. Right. Yeah. So it's not being afraid of God. That's mm -hmm. going to get me off the cycle of this, which I live out in mm -hmm. the judges. It is at any moment in time being struck 
that I've been forgiven for everything I'm doing right now. Yep. I'm, it, this phrase has been kicking around in my mind lately, total acceptance. Mm-hmm. That's what the gospel means, mm-hmm. total acceptance right. of me and all my bad parts right. and all my cycles that I can't get out of, right. total acceptance. And I think once I start to really ingest those parts of the gospel, I don't need the cycle anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You live in that gracious place. Well, on that gracious note, that's uh, let's wrap this up and uh, we're looking forward to next week where we'll continue. We got a few more weeks left, and we got Gideon and some, some right. interesting, fascinating stories coming. Um, and uh, until then, uh, we will wish you a great week, and God be with you, and God, God's grace go with you. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.